Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Softweb Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Welcome to another episode of Soft Rep Radio, and I am your host, Rad. And today, I have a very cool, special guest who has a lot of people that love him out there that submitted him to the show, and he goes by the name John Mad Dog Melson. He is Ranger Qualified, 11 Bravo Infantry in the United States Army, and something tells me he's probably airborne as well and has a few other creds that hangs off his chest. So welcome to the show, John. Hey, thanks for having me, Rad. I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity to share some of my stories with you, you and your and your folks. I appreciate it. Thanks. Well, listen, you were recommended by one of our listeners on SoftRep, okay? And you probably know Brian. Brian, thanks for submitting to SoftRep, throwing John under the bus to be put onto this <laughs> platform to talk to all of us out there. But it's stories 
from guys like you, John, that make SoftRep and our SoftRep radio so cool, right? It's like, you're here we are. You can tell your story. I know you're a ranger. I know a ranger qualified. I know you're sapper. I know you know how to like put some deck core together probably or like clear it out of a field. Yeah, there's a couple things I know how to do. I'm not too shabby. Yeah. Right? Where'd the name Mad Dog come from? So it, it's funny because we all know Mad Dog, you know, General Mattis, Mad Dog Mattis. But a couple of decades before that, you know, I was 15 years old and I played uh, in a men's softball league while I was going through high school and stuff. My uncles were former Marines and a lot of guys were former Marines as well, former soldiers on the softball team. And they, they kind of recruited me as a young kid to play on the team, be one of the guys. And so by hanging out with all these older, you know, veterans, they came up with this nickname and they called me Mad Dog one day. And it kind of stuck. It stuck with me. And so that stayed with me as like a nickname for me. I had several other ones, but that was one that really stuck on me. And then when I came into, you know, like I said, decades later, in, back into the military, I had served in the Marine Corps. I was out for 15 years. 9-11 happened and I pursued to come back in and I was given the opportunity to serve in the Army National Guard. And from that way, that moving forward, that nickname stuck. And when I was given the opportunity to be a platoon sergeant, I called my platoon the Mad Dogs. And all our call sign was Mad Dog. So that, that stuck with me. And I made that all a part of them. And so I shared that part of me with all of my, my soldiers that served with me in my platoon. And it stuck with me. That was my call sign, Mad Dog 7. So you have a bunch of Mad Dog pups out there, huh? I love that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now, is it my understanding that prior to 9-11... You were just in a kind of a more docile place in the military, just, you know, you know, hanging out, cleaning your stuff, making sure everything was ready to go to a battle. There was really just Kosovo and Bosnia kind of kicking off that were publicly talked about. And then all of a sudden 9-11 happens. You know, the Twin Towers are hit and you're where? So, you know, I had served active duty in the Marine Corps 1989 to 92. And then I got out and I pursued some other ventures. I was a Boston police officer. I was a patrolman for a couple of years, moved on to other things in my life, had a debt to pay. I had to pay a debt to society, took care of that. And like I said, it was a 15 year break between when I was released out of the Marine Corps with an honorable discharge and I was attending college at Mass Bay Community College, just outside of Boston and Wellesley. And I was having lunch. I was in the cafeteria and I sat down to have a sandwich in between classes and I saw on the TV screen, it showed the Twin Towers and one was already smoking up and, and being damaged. And I, was, I looked over one of the young students next to me. I was in my early 30s and I elbowed the guy and I was like, hey, what, what's, what movie is this? I haven't seen this movie. This must be a new movie or something. And, you know, I thought it was like a Bruce Willis action movie or something. And he, and he looked at me and was like, right. hey man, are you, what are you, an idiot? He's like, that's live news. I was like, wait, wait a minute. That's that's New York City. Someone's attacking us. And as I were watching, I saw the second plane hit, and I I, I just I, I couldn't. I still couldn't accept that this was this was live TV. I, I kept thinking I, there was so much doubt. Like, no way. This is this is a Hollywood movie. Nobody nobody's doing this right now. And then because it was State College right. and the Flight 90, 93 came out of Boston, so there was like uh, fire alarms went off. Announcements came over for everyone to leave the campus, go home. And I was walking out, running out to my car, not running in panic, but moving with a sense of urgency. And I was like, man, someone just came in and, and punched us in the, in the eye. I was like, someone, someone's starting to fight with us. And yeah. man, it, I was like, all right, well, if, 
if we're going to end up going to find the people who did this, I'm going to say the, the Marine Corps is probably going to be involved in this, like right up front. So I made an effort to go right down the road, pulled right into a Marine recruiter's office. And was like, hey, I was, I was a former devil dog. I served active duty until 92. Like, hey, uh, what can we do? I want to get back in because if we're going to war. I, I want to be a part of it. And I'm ready. Started yeah. to go, you know, the recruiters, they decided to put me through the process. I ended up going into MEPS and at the medical portion, during the medical portion, I determined I had a lump in my neck, my right side. And you couldn't see it. It was growing in inwards. And they sent me out to Boston University wow. Medical Center to have an MRI done to figure out what was wrong with me. I was at the last station to be cleared to reenlist. And they did, they did a CAT scan, ultrasound. And at that time, those doctors came and they told me, they said, hey, uh, you, you need to go see your doctor. You have a, a mass in your neck that's stopping the blood flow to your brain. You have a tumor. <laughs> And no it was kidding. about the size of a golf ball. And I was like, you gotta be, you gotta be kidding me. So I, yeah. that day I, I went to see my, my primary care doctor at the VA hospital in Boston and was like, Hey doc, I've been complaining about this since I got out of the Marine Corps. And you kept telling me it was nothing. Now I just got disqualified for service. And this ain't, I could possibly have cancer. Like we got to look at this. He pulls me in the office, shuts the door. He starts checking on me, stethoscope. He's like, Hey, you got a, you got a pulse here, but you don't have a pulse up here. Like, that is stopping the blood. And I'm like, I'm going to have a stroke. So he put me in for a consultation. Yeah. The next day I came back in, they put a scope up through my leg. They could see the tumor and, and they brought in a team of doctors. And I was about 32 or 33 at the time. And they, uh, they gave me a pretty uh, hard choice to make. They said that that tumor had to come out and it was on the carotid. So they were going to have to stop the blood flow to my brain. If I wanted to leave the tumor alone, I would be surprised if I had five more years left of my life. And I had just had my daughter born. I was trying to go back in the service. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This is going to be a showstopper right now. And so the doctor's like, well, if you opt to have the surgery, there's a high risk of stroke or death because we have to stop the blood flow to your brain to conduct the surgery. I said, well, how do we fix this? They said, well, we're going to remove the carotid. I'm going to take a vein, the saphenous vein out of your thigh and replace it in your neck. And I was like, I'll live fine. They said, you should be okay if you survive the surgery. <laughs> so I opted for that based off based off of my daughter just being born and the opportunity, like, well, if this gets fixed, do you think I'll still get to get back in and put the uniform on? Like, I want to go get payback. I want to serve, right. right? Like, that's that's how we got here. You found this that's cancer That's right. I tried to make the effort, right? So right. I went through the surgeries, 12 hours of surgery, few months of speech therapy, had to learn how to talk and swallow all over again. And I went back to the Marine recruiter and they were like, no way. Like the scar down my neck was bright red. They're like, we can't, we won't touch you. So my, my ambition and dream of serving again was, was crushed. And I was like, how can I go and, per and help our country with what people just did to us? I, I was so driven by it. And, That's right. you know, I wanted to set that example for my daughter, like, Hey, you know, we, we stand up for our country, right, I mean, for the greater good of all of us. And so Correct. Um, a recruiter, a recruiter from the National Guard, Massachusetts, used to frequent the nightclub where I worked at security at night. And he, he had come to me and he said, hey, I think I can, uh, I might be able to get around some medical stuff. They might consider you now. And I was, I was like, come on. I, don't, I was in the Marine Corps. I'd go active Army. I don't know. I, I don't want to be in the Guard. Like I, I know what goes on in the, you know, <laughs> yeah. my, inter my, my perception of the guard from when I was active duty wasn't a good one. So I was like, Oh, eh. 
Right. And then it wore on me. It wore on me really bad where I was like, well, you know what? I shouldn't care as long as I get to serve and do my part. I got to do it. So he put me in for a recheck on the physical. We went through everything. And the doctor there saw I had a big tattoo down my ribs of the Marine Corps. And he's like, hey, look, I'm just a just a general doctor. He's like, I'm not going to deny you. He goes, I'm looking at your Marine Corps tattoo. There's something ain't right with you to go through that surgery and still want to serve in war. He's like, let's send it up to the to the higher echelons, people that are experts in cardiovascular and see what they say. And about a month and a half, two months later, I got a random phone call from some colonel saying he's calling from the Army Surgeon General's office and that uh, he wanted to talk to me. And he said, son, I'm looking at your your application here to serve. Do you know how lucky you are surviving that surgery? And you know we're a country at war and you're lucky to survive that and you still want to go to war. I'm like, yes, sir. Yes, that's what I that's what I want to do right now. And he was like, well, you've been Mm -hmm. cleared for full duty. And I was like, cleared full duty as in a cook. Full duty. Buttons. I'm going to I'm going to be alterations. Like, What do you mean full duty? He goes, son, your application is to come in the infantry. That's where you're going. I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And he's like, son, take care of yourself and Godspeed. And I was sworn in less than an hour later. And a month later, I was shipping out, going over to my first tour overseas. I put my name on a volunteer list and off I went. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. John, real quick, you were 
infantry in the Marine Corps, and then you went infantry in the Army, I was right? A truck. So were you you were prior 0311? No, sir. I was a 3531 in the Marine Corps. I was a truck driver. I was assigned to 2nd Truck truck okay. Battalion at Camp Lejeune. Yeah, so when I came into the Army National Guard, there was part of the regulation at the time that during the, the years I attended the Marine Corps basic training, that they would credit me with a, with 11 series infantry background. So I came straight in and off I went mm-hmm. and they shipped me off. And I could do what I first That's what came I wanted in, to know. Yeah. Cause... Uh, when I first came in, I could only do three push ups. The, the, my muscles were so, so much nerve damage and atrophied. And I've always played junior pro hockey, high school hockey. I played, always Baseball. played sports my whole life baseball everything so mm-hmm. it was killing me that i could only do three push-ups i'm always into fitness i competed in a couple bodybuilding competitions when i got out of the service so like being in shape was a big thing for me so when i came in the army back to getting paid to work out right pt like i said when i first came in i could do three push-ups and i was struggling now i could do a few more i could do a few more than three push-ups <laughs> right now <laughs> yeah, yeah, enough, enough of what you gotta do. No, I got you. <laughs> so, John, what you're telling me is that you you got your 11 Bravo cord and, and infantry badge because you were a Marine and you'd already done all of that rigorous training as a Marine through boot camp. And so the Army's like, here's your you know 11 Bravo, and then you get deployed over to Afghanistan, and now you're chasing down the Taliban and Al Qaeda because we just got hit, like you said, punched in the eye on 9/11. So, so what's going through your mind going from the Marine to the Army? Is there a big difference right off the bat? Well, there was a big difference. The, the, the bantering was definitely still alive between the two services, right? So there was guys that had been active duty Army in my guard unit that once, once they got word that I had served in the Marine Corps, they were oh, yeah, Marine, Leatherneck. Arr. They had, you know, a lot of the bravado chest pounding. Well, I'm, you know, right. one guy, one guy had a ranger tab. He's like, you know, and I'll never forget that was Sergeant Camo. Sergeant Camo was like, yeah, well, you know, I was, I was a ranger, you know, Marines don't mean shit to me. And I was like, okay, well, I'm just a private first class. I'm not challenging you, Sergeant. You, you asked me what my background was. I told you I served in the Marine Corps. So they would razz me and ride me quite a bit. And I just took it with the territory. Like, Hey, you know, I'm in the army. I'm an E3. I'm a PFC private first class. I'm in my early thirties. A lot of them. And I'm, I'm getting scuffed up and, and talked to a certain way by like 20 year old guys that just cause, just cause they had more rank. But I, I respect and understand the professional environment we're in. And, you know, because they had more rank, I got to, mm-hmm. you know, rank and file. I got to do what I'm told until I move on. And what I learned really quick about the difference between the army and the Marine Corps and the Marine Corps, the only time I ever saw anyone in the Marine Corps wearing any kind of badges on the uniform was anybody that was like Anglico or, or recon force recon guys that have jump wings and, scuba bubbles and stuff on their, on their uniform. Other than that, Marines, you don't see them wearing right. anything. And now I'm in the Army, and they got all these badges and these tabs and patches. I'm like, man, what is all this? And guys are like, well, you know, you go to aerosol school, you get that helicopter, you know, badge. You go to airborne school, you jump out of planes, you get those jump wings, and, you know, you go to ranger school, you're a ranger. You get that, that ranger tab. And, and I was like, oh, okay. So what, what does all that stuff do? It's like, well, you get a lot of good Army training, and opportunity to promote and you learn more stuff on how to be more lethal and more of a, you know, we joke around and we say, you know, you become more of a badass, you know, when it, when the time comes, you're right. called on the battlefield. So I start thinking, okay, well, I want to be on the battlefield. This is why I joined. So I got to mm-hmm. find a way to go do that kind of stuff. So I, I can kick more ass next time I'm on the battlefield. 
And that's kind of like how it's been for my career. Every time I deploy, I come back, I attend some more training, and then I'm I'm beating down walls to try and get back overseas to put that to good work. So no, none of the taxpayers' money to send me to Army training was ever put to waste because I took it to work overseas every time they gave me a chance to get more training. I think that's you know, a really good thing. You were just full-on war college. Yeah, <laughs> constantly learning and learning war college. You're just like on the boots on the ground. You're basically uh, OJT, Reno that acronym, on the job training. You're just like, teach me. Now I know it. Go back, learn it. Maybe even regurgitate it to newer people like your mad dog pups. Yeah, <laughs> you know right. what I mean? And, so, and, and that's what uh, I did. I, 100%. I, try to, I try to instill a lot of that mentality and that mindset to every soldier that's ever served with me, whether they were my peer my superior or those soldiers that I had the privilege to be trusted with to lead. I've tried to put that in, plant those seeds into them right. to become, to become more of what they thought they could be of themselves. Right. A lot of, a lot of times soldiers don't pursue those right. type of opportunities. What I saw, cause they don't think they have it in them. You know, they look, they look at me and they're like, Oh man, you're, you know, first sergeant, master sergeant, you know, you're, you're, you're a ranger, you're a sapper, you've been a mountain, you've done airborne, you've done this. And, and I'm like, what's, what's saying you can't do it. You know, there's no cookie cutter mold. There's big ranges, short ranges, fat ranges, skinny range. There's it's all shapes and sizes, right? But you, it's all going to make sure you believe in yourself and you have those people that are willing to push you as well to achieve great things or try. You it, know, exactly. At least at put least yourself try. in the circle to try. You know, that's right. Yeah, and at least push yourself to the limits and know what your limits are because you'll never know. And if and if it's whether you wanted to audition for a movie or try to go out for a rip at ranger school or you know try to get on that baseball team, if you don't put your foot forward, you'll never know. That's right. So I, I use an you analogy. I use an analogy of Mike Tyson. Now Mike Tyson, he probably knocked my head off, but you never know. Oh, he's dope. If, yeah. If I don't get in the ring, and who knows. I might get that one punch in and knocks him into next week and shock the world. But if I don't get in the ring, I'll never know if I could do that. Right. So I think the, exactly. the juice is worth the juice is worth the squeeze. Take the risk. Put one step forward, like you said, and go for it. Because you won't you won't know whether or not if you make it or not if you don't try. Right. And so I look at that. No, it's exactly like, right. It's ex- no. I was just going to say, Rad. That's how I look at it. Like my my cancer surgery. It was like, man, I could have settled for like a five-year life expectancy or I could give myself what I teach my soldiers, always give yourself a fighting chance, right? So I was like, no, let's take the risk. Let's go forward with the surgery. I might get a chance right. to serve again. Imagine was, that. What was that, 9-11? So that's 2001, and you were given five years or so because if you didn't do the surgery, the tumor, but you did the surgery. So what is that, 20 years later, and uh, you've knocked those odds out, right? and you've served – Nine combat deployments? Is that right? Nine, nine? Nine nine overseas, yes, sir. Yes. Nine overseas deployments. What was the craziest deployment that just right now that one? Well, just to correct you, my first deployment, we my the unit I was able to get on as a volunteer, we went to Sinai, Egypt, and we we deployed to the Sinai Peninsula. And while we were there, unfortunately, we had like two or three different terrorist attacks. So a lot of people think like it was a cush mission, but we ended up dealing with those those acts of terrorism while we were there so that changed the security posture for us while we were there i would say my craziest deployment is probably a toss-up between my 06 to 07 afghanistan and my 11 to 12 afghanistan saw a lot of contact on both of those my my geez you know my 08 to 09 one was pretty bad too so so i'll tell you my 06 to 07 as well as my 08 to 09 
those those were both embedded tours. I was an embedded tactical trainer with the Afghan army. So both times I was on like a four to six man team embedded with Afghans. And we were teaching them on, you know, how to be better than what they were as what they would consider as an Afghan mm-hmm. soldier, make them improved as well as we want them to improve because we're out there with them. So we want to give ourselves a little bit more of a fighting chance because they're, they're all around us fighting off the Taliban. So we're out there teaching them how to be successful and defeating the Taliban. 06 to 07, I was just a Sergeant E5. I had just got back from Iraq with the Mississippi Army National Guard. I was at Iskandaria in the Jaff province in Iraq. I got back and I was out processing to go back to Massachusetts. I lost my glass company while I was deployed. I owned my own glass company. It went under while I was deployed. And, you know, I was kind of in panic mode. Like, what am I going to do for work? I got my daughter. Now my son was, my son was now born. I'm like, I got, I got to keep pay coming in. And while I was out processing a full bird colonel was in processing and we both came to the same desk and, you know, we're stutter stepping back and forth. Hey, go ahead, sir. No, Sergeant, you go ahead. And we started some small talk and he asked, (laughs) he asked me, he said, so where, where are you coming from, Sergeant? I was like, I was just getting back from Iraq. Who are you with? I was like, the first of the one five, five out of Mississippi army national guard. I went as a volunteer He's like, oh, they had a, saw the casualty reports. They had a, a rough time. I said, yeah, we lost some good soldiers, some real good soldiers. And he said, well, I got an opportunity for you. Would you be interested in taking that combat experience and be a part of my team and be embedded with the Afghan army for a year in Afghanistan? So right away, I was like, wow, now I get to go to Afghanistan. I get to take my combat experience. I fought insurgents in Iraq. Now I can fight Taliban and see if they, if they got the stuff. Because the insurgents in Iraq. Right. I wasn't impressed, but, you know, they're, they're crafty, right? And so I was thinking of the Taliban. I'm like, all right, let's go see what the Taliban got to mix up with, right? I'm going to get a little bit of everything. And he told me the mission. He's like, you're going to be embedded, you know, like a four or five-man team, embedded with, you know, like 100 Afghans, and you're going to be teaching them how to defeat the Taliban. And I was like, I'm just a Sergeant E5. But I'm in my mid-30s at this point, but young in the Army. I'm like, you're going to put Correct. a sergeant? You're going to put a sergeant out there teaching over like 100 Afghans? I'm like, Oh, this is amazing. What a great opportunity. I'm going to teach them how to fight the mad dog way and, and beat the Taliban. Let's, I, I'm with it, sir. Let's do it. And so on that deployment, I, I got wounded a couple times, that deployment. And What kind of a wound did you get? What caused the wound? So we were attached. I was on a four-man team, and we were attached to a team out of 3rd Special Forces Group. And we had a weapons company uh-huh. from the Afghan Army. It was about 120, 110 Afghans. And... We were tasked with training them and teaching them that we provided support for the operational detachment alpha team from 3rd Special Force Group. And we went up into the Deschapan Valley. We were in Zabal province, and we were operating out of Fob Lane. And we set up a blocking position around a known village that was a Taliban stronghold. So we set up, we kind of triangulated outside different strong points. And there was two sections from an infantry company that came out and assisted. They took one se- section of the valley the special forces team went across the other side of the valley and my team, the four of us, we staged with just four, two Humvees, four American packs and which are you know, four Americans. And then like 110, 120 Afghans, we staged another blocking position. Well, I guess throughout the night when we got established Taliban, you know, evaluate and figure out who would be the easier target out of the three. And just as mm-hmm. sunrise came, they picked us. And it was 
probably five or six different RPG gunners at different locations on a ridgeline shooting down on us, shooting at us like we were in the bottom of a fishbowl. And I was laying on the ground when, when it initiated. I was behind the Humvee sleeping on the ground while my partner was manning the radio. As soon as contact started, I jumped up and I started running to get up into the Humvee. An RPG hit right by the Humvee, knocked me down, hit, I hit into the Humvee as I was climbing in. I guess I got a bit of shrapnel came in and, and cut my leg right around my knee wasn't really bad mm-hmm. and i was knocked pretty good like uh, i was kind of out of it for a couple of seconds and then climbed up into the gun hatch got up on the 50 cal and then uh, we sat there for about 45 minutes to an hour holding off that position while the taliban kept, continued to try to maneuver on, on us with rpg support from up on the ridge line and then they broke contact and we stayed there the day and the following morning, we went to Exfil, that village, and the infantry folks were coming through the valley, coming through a road to cut through the village from their position. As they came through on that side, the Taliban opened up. They had repositioned, and they had killed an American soldier, one of the young young men. There was a gunner on one of those Humvees. They came through. We're providing covering fire for them. We maneuvered our forces to where we could cover them to come. They were moving towards us. They came to us to consolidate, get that young soldier's body taken care of. And at that time, the special forces had come to us. And I'll never forget, uh, special forces commander Griff, he had come over to me and he's like, John, are you good? I said, I'm good. What do we got to do? And they did not have up armor Humvees. We did. And they said, hey, mm-hmm. we're going back in there to pinpoint their location. And, and we're going to whoop some ass. We're going we're gonna to fix their location and we're going to call birds in on them. And he's like, you got enough ammo? I said, I'm. I'm black. I had a captain with me from the Puerto Rico guard and he was like, Oh, we're good. We're good on ammo. And I was like, I was like, no one fucking not. No, I, I got no. one can. I have one can of ammo left. We are black on ammo. That's and not- Captain Griff, Captain Griff mm-hmm. was like, no problem. I got ammo for you. And they loaded me up with, you know, a couple thousand rounds of 50 cal ammo. Yeah. And he was like, and he was like, listen, John, you got the up armor Humvee. We need your Humvee to lead through the village. It's okay. So we went into the village. Nothing happened. We staged on the far side. We started getting radio traffic, picking up Taliban radio f- uh, chatter. Uh, they, they, chatter. Didn't really wanna, yep. they didn't really want to mess with us. We dropped a couple of bombs up on some high ridge lines, trying to see if we could stir anything up to pinpoint the location. Nothing. We waited until the afternoon, and then Captain Griff was like, all right, we're going to actually we're gonna pull back through the village, through the valley on the other side where the infantry are staged, and we're going to, Charlie and Mike, we're going to move back to the fob. As we began movement into the village, there was a there was an orchard on the right the right side of my Humvee, and there was mud walls about six feet high on either side of the road. So once you go into the road, you're stuck. You either go straight or forward. You can't go left or right because of the the thick mud. Like walls. a funnel. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we went. We got funneled into the orchard, and then that's when they opened up on us. Uh, they were hitting us from everywhere, and that was. It was a real crazy, crazy day. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. 
if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. So they reloaded you with 1,000 rounds, right? How many of those did you spend? I think they gave me 5,000 rounds. 5,000 total. Five to six. Of 50 cal. Yes, they had they had so much and that's ammo the big on boys. their trucks. Oh yeah, and so I was the fifty cal gunner on the on the lead Humvee. We were getting hit with small arms fire. The A and A, they jumped out of their pickup trucks, left their pickup trucks in the road, so we were stuck, and they were all jumping over the walls to get away from the and Taliban. Because A and A is Afghan National Army, and you're working with them, right? I'm just trying to break some acronyms yes. down because you know I know you know so much, and like Charlie Mike means like contact to movement to the fob, right? You guys are moving back to the Ford operating base, expecting maybe some contact while you move, correct? Charlie Mike. Yes. And so I'm just kind of, I'm just trying to break down for my listener so that they know, oh, okay, ANA. What is an ANA? It's an Afghan National Army. The guys that are working with us, supposedly, and with you, but they don't want to be killed. So they're like, they'll probably scatter. Yes. So it was like herding cats at that point. They would, they jumped over the mm-hmm. wall. They were trying to get cover because the bullets were just going right through their pickup trucks. And so now... We couldn't go any further forward because the trucks, the walls on the sides and the trucks. And so we were just sitting ducks and we were getting hit. And next thing I know, uh, some of the special forces guys in the thin skin Humvees behind me started screaming at me up front. And I'm shooting towards the Taliban position with the 50 cal and they're yelling to pop smoke, pop smoke. And I'm like, I couldn't understand. I'm like, why are we popping smoke? Next thing I know, all I heard was the minigun on an A-10 a-10 started swooping in down low and you could hear the A-10 and it just, the sound <laughs> just reverberated up my spine. I tensed up and I was just like, wow, I, I know in Desert Storm we had, you know, fr- a lot of friendly fire deaths, A-10s hitting, hitting American vehicles. I was like, wow, I'm going to die because I'm going to, an A-10 is going to shoot me up today. And I was like, you got to oh. be kidding me. And that first gun run went by. I got sprayed with wood and everything because the, the gun run was so close to us shooting up all the trees in the orchard beside us. And 
I look back oh over my, my shoulder. Gosh. I look back over my shoulder, and they're yelling at me, shaking their heads and throwing their arms up. Pop smoke. They can't see us. So I stopped shooting the guns for a minute, and I, I had like three or four smoke grenades. And oh. I started pop, popping smoke so the pilots could see that the smoke was the friendly location. And a couple more gun runs mm-hmm. came through, and me and the, the, the captain, he was driving. I started kicking him in the head. Hey, start driving. Get us out of here. Everybody's trapped. Go. I'm, I'm, a lot of F-bombs. A lot of F-bombs. Drive. Right? Yeah. Get, stuff, yeah, get drive. us the fuck out of here. And he's like, I can't yeah, yelling drive. up at me. I can't drive the pickup trucks. I'm like, these Humvees will push those things out of the way. Step on the gas. Let's go. So he starts shoving and pushing the trucks out of the way. Meanwhile, my buddy, my other teammate, Kevin Hunt, Kevin was out trying to maneuver and gather up the Afghans. He's on the radio, on his radio, talking to the pilots, telling them where the enemy positions are. Meanwhile, Kevin's getting shot at. Well, he's trying to maneuver around on the ground. He's no longer in a Humvee. He's trying to get the ANA Afghan army forces to consolidate and regroup. So as we keep pushing right. forward, he's going from tree to tree behind a mud wall, gets up behind our truck. He's trying to do the best he can to keep command and control with those Afghan soldiers. We finally push out. We're, we're, we're shooting the whole way out. We're fighting our way out of that orchard. We got out and everybody made it. To the other side of the valley, we f- were able to fix the Taliban's position, and we dropped quite a few JDAMs on them. And we, we, we definitely got some payback that day. Let me ask you something, kind of a, a weird question. Were you wearing earplugs? Were you wearing something on your ears for all of that uh, fire? Or are you just up in that gun hatch just unleashing? I'm just curious. Was, no, I didn't have any ear protection in. You know, I, I know it's, it's what's recommended, right? But it... It's well, a tough I'm just thing. asking. Yeah, yeah. Just as a, yeah. It's a tough thing because you, you know, you, you muffle so much sound, you start to lose some situational awareness as well. But yeah, it, it was loud. It was it was real loud. It was very chaotic. And all I could think about as I'm looking back at, at my buddies, they were my buddies, the guys on the ODA team, the, the special force guys. We all lived together. We were training right. together, working. And all I kept thinking about these poor bastards. They're in open Humvees. I'm the only one like in an up armor Humvee. Like I got to fight. So there's nothing left in me so those guys can get out of here, you know? Badass, that was, bro. That was a hectic no, just, day. Just, just straight. I just imagine yeah. the A-10s cruising through the orchard, just blowing everything apart, bro. And you're just like, why are they yelling at me to pop smoke? And you're like, oh, shit, I should pop smoke. Let's pop smoke because you said it yourself. <laughs> you don't want to get A-10 today. Yeah. So it was my buddy. <laughs> A-10 so- for my listener is the aircraft that flies low with the art. Like it flies super low, like hundred feet off the ground, just obliterating everything in its path with a gun, a minigun. Yeah. The, for an infantry soldier, they're a dream come true when they, when they come in to support you there, you are pumped when they come in, they got a great whistling sound oh. to them. Oh, they love you too. They want to, they, they love you. I got a friend who's a pilot and he's like, he's like, what's it like down there? And they're like, what's it like up there? It's always this backwards, you know, did I help you? Did I, did I yep. do what I, did you want? Did I get you? Did I help you? Like my A-10 pilot, I talked to up at my job at my Hill Air Force Base. He's always like, my goal is to go back and find them and see if I did what they wanted. Uh. <laughs> That's awesome, bro. <laughs> I'm sure you do when you see arms cheering in the air. That's like, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, right? So my buddy that was on the, yeah. on the truck behind me, uh, my buddy was uh, Jay Ox. Uh, he's not with us any longer. He, he had a bad motorcycle wreck a few years back. But Jay, he was the one yelling at me, telling me to pop smoke. And when I turned around and looked at him, I was like, I'm fucking shooting the gun, right? Like, why 
why do I'm, I'm going to stop shooting the yeah. puff smoke? And he starts yelling, they can't see us. And I was, okay, yeah, I get it now. Yeah, th- these smoke grenades that, are getting popped. 100%. And did it matter yeah. what color they were, or were you just popping? What color were they? What color were the smoke grenades? Were they like purple, blue, yellow, red? I had, what are I you had popping? Red. White? I had red ones all red. staged. already had them staged in pouches up in my turret. Because the red so, means something specific, right? Well, normally, you know, we, we try and color code things. Normally, if you're using red, you would try and establish standard operating procedure and SOP. Like red would mean a casualty, right? But mm-hmm. we don't want to dictate really what color smoke we're going to use because then the enemy knows, you know, what, what our signal is. Mm-hmm. So when we're trying to more, more so just to, just to identify so the pilots can see who we are, we'll pop smoke and wait for the pilot to identify because – I may pop purple smoke, and the pilot says, I see white smoke. All right, well, that ain't me. I'm, but if they said, we got right. eyes on, we got confirmation of purple smoke, like, that's us, right? So Right, because the enemy could pop smoke the same color. If you're like, yeah, we're popping red, next thing you know, everywhere on the hillside, it's all pop, 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 red smoke. You're like, wait right. a second here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You tell me what color you see. Oh, okay. It's, you yes. see orange smoke? That's me. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's right. That makes total sense. Thanks for explaining that. It's just the little things that are intriguing about, you know, such a big operation. I mean, like, what are you wearing for hearing protection? What color is smoke is being popped? You know, like, I bet the smell was just so crazy, huh? Yeah. It, everything. You could, your whole senses, bro. You could smell all the, you know, the, the burning smoke from the grenades. You could smell the, you know, all the gunpowder from the 50 cal rounds. That gun was, I had that gun rocking. I, I wanted to. If if you were Taliban, I wanted to I wanted to send you to meet your maker. Oh yeah, and and was there like um, a team that goes in? Was it your team or another team that goes in and assesses the situation after you get done? You're like, hey, this is the sit rep. This is what we dealt with, and they're like, okay, we're going to send a team in to go and clear out and just casualty count. Is that something that goes down or what? Well, it, you know, a lot of times we try and you know BDA battle damage assessment. But where we had mm-hmm. our American casualties already accounted for and transporting them with us, there was no reason for us to stick around. To, you know, a lot of times we've determined how many enemy casualties or deaths were because, you know, we're monitoring enemy radio traffic and enemy comms and human mm-hmm. intel will tell us, you know, someone's missing. Well, he's missing because we probably smoked them. Right. Or uh, he's not. We're not getting shot at from that same spot anymore. Yeah. It's like uh, we're going to say that guy's gone. So, yep. Yes. Wow. And that was oh uh, six oh seven, huh? Yeah, and that was just one. There was we had about four or five more just in a like a period of like three months like that. I had a chance to serve with a great guy, Lieutenant Cooper, who's now Lieutenant Colonel Cooper, who two years later, he was a lieutenant with me in Afghanistan. Two years later, him and I graduated Ranger School together, side by side. Like it and that happened by accident. We both oh, wow. just showed up in the same Ranger class. He's had an outstanding career as well. Uh, we had some good firefights that we we shared together, and that was the 06 one. But then I think uh, one of the really stressful ones for me was because I was in in senior leadership. I wasn't the guy so much down in the fight like those times. I had a platoon, 45 guys out of the Massachusetts National Guard. We had deployed in 2011 to 2012 to Kunar, Afghanistan. And there's been quite a bit of uh, stories out you know, published out there about uh, we had an observation post above far right uh, called OP Nevada, observation post Nevada, and it was manned by one squad at a time. So we had four squads, nine to 10 soldiers per squad, and they would go up and live on the top of the mountain watching over far right and watching over far choice 
uh, which was manned by 25th Infantry Division, the other side in the Ganjagal Valley. And Ganjagal is pretty well known, like Captain Swenson and Dakota Meyer received medals of honor from Taliban fighting they had in Ganjagal mm-hmm. Valley. So Ganjagal is known to be very, very much a Taliban stronghold. Yes. And so our guys mm-hmm. were up there on mm-hmm. top of this mountain at like 12,000 feet elevation, monitoring the valley for a week to 10 days at a time. So they have to be very cautious on their, their supplies as well as, you know, if something sets off, they got to be very aware of how much ammo to be able to sustain and, and, and last until somebody can get up there. Right. Because the only way up to get to OP Nevada, right, it, the-, you ha- we, the only way we could get up and down from there was by rotary wing, helicopters. So yeah, if, I was going to say Chinook uh, or something. Yep. Yes. So for them to get resupplied, they'd have to hold out long enough until we could get helicopters to provide any kind of support to bring anything up to them. And what happened was we had been on ground. I was the platoon sergeant for that. Uh, I was Mad Dog 7, and that was my platoon of Mad Dogs. And uh, we trained the hell out of them. I mean, 60 to 75 days. Love it. Straight training. And we got praise from pretty much uh, every every type of badass type of leader. You would think we had SEAL commanders involved in part of our mission, and they were just like, this platoon, you guys are doing it right. If there was time in the day, Instead of spending it resting, we were training. If there was, if guys were awake at night, right. they want to they want to play video games. Well, you got energy to play video games. You got energy to train. We're going to go train because I wanted them to be able to take it to the enemy and not waste any amount of time that God gives us prior to to give them a longer chance after the deployment if they can survive. Right. So we, well, we trained really how hard. nice of you to try to make sure they come home to their families. <laughs> like that's the end of the day. You're like, I want you to come home. I know you want to play the Nintendo. I get it. I do too. But like, yeah. you, you're like, this is what we need to do. We got to, we got to do this, you know, cause we want to go home to play Nintendo. Okay. You'll get playing Nintendo at home. It's like, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna, I, I'm not gonna I can only, I can only imagine your mindset. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's the other pieces, you know, my mindset is, is it's not, I'm going to say it's unique, but it's, it's different than how I listen to a lot of my peers talk. You know, my mindset is also like, hey, I'm the one out in the fight too. So if they're not going to be able to mm-hmm. keep me safe, then they're not. I'm not training them hard enough, right? If they're not able to, you know, we're only as strong right. as our weakest link. So if our weakest guy is a badass, then that's our. We don't want to be anything less than that, right? And right. and that's how we. And the whole platoon adopted that mentality. Like, hey, when we come home and we make it, then we can relax. Then we can play video games we can party up but right now it's time to work exactly so our mission's gonna work us you have work ethic yeah you have a work ethic of like a a, of a baseball player of a team sport individual you're like you know let's all be on the same team let's all do the same you have a position to play i have i'm the coach this is my position on the team this is what you're gonna do as a shortstop this is what you're gonna do as a center field don't argue with the umpires let the coaches argue with the umpires all this type of thing is what i get from you like a coach like a vibe and I, as a baseball player myself, you know, when I do war games out in the desert here in Utah, I bring that same mindset with my crews. It's like, hey, you play your position, you're swinging off the left, you're moving on the flank, and, uh, you know, when I whistle, come back, okay? Yep, yep. <laughs> it's, about, it's really, and over and over and over again, you know, it seems repetitive, but when you're doing war games with us, uh, we work with guys like yourself, you know, who get out and want to keep kind of having a good time and running and gunning with people. So airsoft war games have really helped a lot of, veterans and those who never got to serve a chance to, to, to do something next to a guy like yourself who might be 
playing airsoft war games with them. You know, it's just a Got interesting yep. uh, de decompression uh, tool that I like to pitch out there all the time. That's what I'm all about, right? That's what that's how I wound up here at Soft Rep, and uh, it's because today's airsofter is tomorrow's you. You know, yep. if they get a chance <laughs> to join, and uh, <laughs> you know, I know some dudes with no hair; they can probably do just fine. <laughs> <laughs> It's just I, I, I was hoping I could plant some seeds in these young guys. I mean, I figured, you know, I was a dad, and I would think like, hey, if my yeah. son and daughter were being sent off to war, would I want their leadership to be nice to them so they would get along? Would mm -hmm. I want their leadership to be soft on them? Hmm. Is that how I would want my kids trained and prepared for war after I know what takes place in war? Mm -hmm. And I was like, nope. So a lot of those kids in that platoon, I would, I'd be able to look at their mom and dad the grandparents, their wives and kids, look them in the face and know there's no guilt in me. I trained them with everything I had. And, you know, if something bad was to happen, that's because sometimes shit happens. But you're not yeah. going to, your, your husband, your son, your daughter, your dad, your cousin, your nephew, he's not going to be sacrificed. If he loses his life, it's not going to be a wasted sacrifice because he wasn't trained properly. Right? I wasn't going to have that guilt on me. I think right. our... Our American sons and daughters deserve, if I'm in leadership, they deserve everything I got. Everything I got to teach them the way. 100%. And that's how I was That's with the 100% them. coach right there, dude. Yep. You're I, giving I'll everything you got. You want everything they got. Yep. yep. And I'll call yep. them kids, but these were men, right? I call them kids only because I'm an old man. Right. Sure. No, not taking yeah, any. Yeah, and you got 20-year-olds. Yeah. But you got these young guys that probably came up to you as a mature E3 saying, hey, you know, help you know, corral these guys. I know that they probably had to come talk to you on the side and say, we know you're a Marine. We know that, you know, you're an older dude and you've got a maturity level, even though you're an E3. Okay. That had to have happened. <laughs> okay. So it's funny you mentioned that because I, I bring this conversation to every organization I've been a part of since I am been in the national guard, right? A lot of guys come in the national guard and when it's time to show up and, and play soldier or perform soldier duties on a weekend, they want to play dumb, right? Oh, well, I didn't know, Sergeant. Oh, I, you know, and I'm like, nope, I'm not buying it. You're an adult. You're raising children. Mm -hmm. You pay a mortgage. You run a business. You're a police chief. <laughs> you're a cop. Don't come here on the weekend right? and, and serve beside me and play Jimmy the Dunce. I'm not buying it. And a lot of soldiers knew. They're like, no. I can't get over on him. I'm not going to get over on him. But he's got my back, so I'm going to I'm gonna put in what he's putting in. And it was it's a very, very fortunate situation Massachusetts afforded me, giving me that platoon and watch those soldiers develop and yeah. become the kick-ass machine that they were. And so OP Nevada, we were three weeks on ground and Brian Wood, Staff Sergeant Wood, was up on the o Mad Dog 3. He was on his rotation, three weeks in the country, up on the OP. And it, it all started out earlier in the day. They were getting some radio chatter. Their interpreter was telling them that the Taliban are probing the perimeter of the observation post it was triple strand concertina wire surrounding the perimeter it was about mm -hmm. 150 200 meters out and some of it dipped down in low ground so you it would be out of sight and they said they were trying to see how many americans were up there so he he called down talked to me on the radio and it's like seven this is three we're getting this icom traffic we're going to go ahead and push out a, a patrol around the perimeter and see if anyone's probing the wire and about 35, 40 minutes later, he calls back down. He's like, seven, this is three. Well, we, we have a guy in custody with a radio, and they had flattened the concertina wire, the razor wire, with rocks. 
and they had made it inside the mm-hmm. observation post. He said they, he was accompanied by two others who fled. We couldn't apprehend them, but we have this one guy. So where we were at Fob Wright, we had some uh, special operations detachment as well as some other governmental agencies, three-letter agencies that were there, and they wanted that guy. Mm-hmm. So earlier in the day, they mm-hmm. took a helicopter, flew up to the mountain, and they took him into custody, and that was the last we saw of him. And throughout the day, we discovered who that guy was. He was the local Taliban leader's uncle. And the radio traffic started picking up that the Taliban leader had found out that the Americans on top of the mountain had captured his uncle. And he was gathering his his folks, getting all his Taliban boys together, and was telling them they're going to fight to the death to get him back. All throughout the day, there was just more and more updates. More Taliban were coming into the valley to assault mm-hmm. the mountaintop. And, you know... Me and Brian talking back and forth. It's like, hey, you know, watch your six. Make sure things are tight up there. You know, keep pushing down the situation reports to us. And, you know, when, when we find out anything, we'll push it up to you. Goes into nightfall and Taliban initiated an attack. They, they started hitting the, the observation mm-hmm. post. There's only nine Americans up there. Started hitting them with RPGs and mortar fire, small arms. Then they would break contact and try and flank from a different position. And they just kept lobbing RPGs from wherever they were at the OP. And we're about, as the crow flies, probably a, a straight mile from our fob to with an observation post, as just a straight mile. However, because of the terrain, it was probably about six, maybe eight clicks away, eight kilometers. And it, mm-hmm. like I said, that was at like 12,000 elevation. So there was no way to get up there. So we're watching from outside our talk, our tactical operations center, we could see the firefight going. The, the rounds and the explosions going back and forth, back and forth. And this went on back and forth. They break contact, initiate contact. It went on for almost about eight to nine hours. And we had, at far right, we had a Navy commander and a civil affairs detachment, a s- small element of special forces detachment, and then the contractors from the other government agencies. And so, you know, we're trying to work up an issue to go ahead and send a QRF, a quick reaction force. The Navy commander was dead set against mm-hmm. it. He's like, nope, we're not sending anyone up there. Brian's calling down on the on the official radio frequency. Hey, uh, we send in help. We need help up here. We're getting low on ammo. The Navy commander transmitted a message to them. We're not sending anyone up. So I run down to my platoon Jeez. room. I run down to my platoon room and I call the OP on the official frequency. And I tell them to switch over to our platoon internal frequency so we could talk more personal. Right. And, and free up the, mm-hmm. the, the main radio waves. So Brian gets on. I was like, three, this is seven. What's going on? And he's, you know, he's like, hey, John. He Brian had served on a previous deployment with me. Several guys in that platoon had been on multiple deployments with me. He had just been married, had a, had a baby. And he was like, John, Baby's I don't boys. know. If, yep. He's like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through the night, man. We're getting, we're getting really low on ammo. And they're not stopping. They keep coming. And I was like, Brian, I, I got you. I'm coming. He's like, they just said they're not sending help. I said, I know, man, I'm working it. Listen, slow down your rates of fire, pick your shots, right? Control your guys. I'm coming. He's like, John, am I going to die up here? I was like, I was like, I'm coming. Just, just know I'm coming. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of tense moments in the operations center. Uh, the Navy commander, he, he did not, I don't know if he didn't want to risk his career or, or he was, he was just out of experience to doing such a thing. He's, he couldn't fathom sending up any soldiers up there to assist. And again, we, the only way we could get up there is by helicopter. 
So we, he called over to Fob Joyce and contacted the 25th Infantry Division and asked them if they could send soldiers and support elements up there. 25th had declined because they were not aware that there was Americans on top of the mountain. We're not tracking any any U.S. footprint up there. They thought it was Afghan soldiers being overrun. So mm-hmm. then it was more pressure on the Navy commander. Sir, we got to do something. Those are our guys. And he was like, well, way I see it, uh, those soldiers, they're doing their job. They get paid to die. And I, I stormed out of I stormed Sorry. out of the yeah I, I stormed out of the operations yeah. center and, and I, I slammed the door and uh, I broke a couple of the hinges and then oh my gosh the civil affairs commander and the sergeant major came out and was talking to me he was like hey sergeant Melson, let's just let's get a breath of air and meanwhile we're, we're outside talking and you could still see the, the battle going across the valley and correct like, I know right you know they're like they're like those are your boys up there we're, we got, we're gonna try and get you up there we just gotta we got to work with the commander. Just you know, like let's get our thoughts together. It's, it's, and meanwhile, now all my platoon is standing outside watching, anxious. Those are their buddies across the valley, maybe not making it through the night. Like Sergeant Nelson, what do we do? Yeah. And I just I handpicked. I was like, guys, I'm working a quick reaction force. I want this person, this person, this person, and I need body bags filled with these supplies as speed balls. So when we get to go, we're ready to roll. Get the stuff, make it happen now, and stage and get ready stage right out here and so platoon leadership they took over they started doing that i was working things with my lieutenant inside the talk and then all the officers took the commander and went into his room and you they shut the door and that was a heated conversation you could hear the yelling going on in the other room Mm -hmm. while everything's going on and brian's calling situation reports down hey guys it's getting really bad up here you gotta give me something i run back down i get on the radio and call them like eight three this is seven and man i'm working it if you have you are you're like trying to give him some type of peace of mind bro you're like i'm coming just know i'm I'm coming god i'm like brian i'm working it i was like listen you tell those kids to fight with rocks if they have to that's right you hold them off i'm coming and I run back up into the operations center, and we're working it. And I saw her on the, the computer screen. We call it the Blue Force Tracker. I could see two icons, and I clicked on them to see what the icons were. And it, it revealed that they were Black Hawk helicopters. And they were coming from an operation in northern Kunar. That's the province we were in. They were coming from north Kunar going down to Jalalabad. And so I clicked on it, and I saw them. And then I sent them a text message. And I was asking the, the pilot and the crew, like, hey, I got troops in contact at this grid location. Can you assist? I need to insert QRF in close proximity of this grid. And they responded right back. We're, they're returning from another mission. They were low on fuel, and they had to get back to Jalalabad to land and fuel. Meanwhile, we were a forward resupply point. We were a farm. So we had res- uh, refuel capability, but they were bypassing us. The, they came out from the commander's office when I walked back. Well, after I sent that message and the commander was like, I don't know about this. I don't know if we should do this. You guys aren't real infantry. You guys are just national guard. And I, I looked yes. around the room and I was like, are you, I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like, I, really? Like the, I, I, it, at this point, who, I don't care what your opinion is of us. Like but that's a real firefight. Yeah. And those are real <laughs> Americans that are going to die if we don't help them. Like, so not being real right. infantry is your opinion, but you don't even know what we're capable of. Like, you've never, you, you know. Right, because you're defending the much. outpost right now. You're at the top. You're right. picking shots. You're trying to stay alive up there. And those guys are fighting just like any infantry guy would be fighting. 
So if I figured if they're up there fighting for their life, I'm going to down, down here. I'm going to fight for their life. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm going to be right. relentless as much as they have to be up there. They deserve that from me. And so that's right. Things again, things were tense in that operation center. And then finally, I guess Lieutenant Colonel Baden, the civil affairs commander got through to him about like, if those Americans die and we did nothing, this is not going to go well at all. And, the commander came and talked to me and was like, are you sure you can do this? I'm like, sir, if I get those Blackhawks assistance, I can get guys up there. I got everybody staged, handpicked just to do this. Like, we got this. And mm-hmm. he was like, if those Blackhawks will assist, you got to go. And the Blackhawks, I'm like, man, they're going to Jalalabad. What am I going to do? Why couldn't he have told me sooner? And I walked outside, get another look at the mountaintop. I'm watching across the mountain, and they're still fighting it out. I'm like, man, keep giving it to them, guys. Keep going. And one of the special forces guys came walking out. And he was like, hey, man. He's like, John, you need to get the fuck up on that mountain. I said, I know. I was like, but the Blackhawks, they, they can't help us. And he's like, let me make a phone call. And he pulled out a satellite phone. And, huh. I mean, I'd have to say he probably called and talked to someone in Jalalabad because within one minute, I was getting another message back from those pilots that they could not land in Jalalabad because the landing strip lights were out due to bad weather. And they said that they, <laughs> and they said they'd be willing to insert us if we could provide fuel for them. And I said, yep, we have refuel capability. I, I ran fuel. up and yes. I told the fuelers to get ready out on the flight line. These Blackhawks are coming in and we got to go. We got to get them fueled up and we got to go. And you talk about camaraderie. When those Blackhawks landed, we had Air Force and Navy personnel as part of the team on that FOB. Everybody was up out of their bed trying to help my guys get up to the flight line with the supplies and help us load up. Everybody played a role that night. It was amazing. Everyone wanted us to see us take the win home, you know? And uh, That's right. That's right. We, we loaded. I briefed everybody who already got a brief on what was the expectation. Once, as soon as we come in, one helicopter could only land at a time. And so it was like, hey, first helicopter's going to land. It's going to be my bird. We're going to get on the ground. We're going to push out as soon as we hit the ground. We're going to secure the LZ landing zone and secure that so the second bird can come in so they don't get shot down. And then we're going to exfil. We're going to go ahead and, pr- and provide those guys what they need to get through the night up in that OP. To see the look in the guy's eyes that were not selected to go, it, it, it was assuring and it was a right. bummer at the same time. Like everybody wanted to be, those were their buddies. Those were their, their friends, right? Yeah. They, they wanted to be a part of it. Right. And I was like right. reassuring them, hey, guys, well, just like they're up there fighting, they're fighting with it, with all, they're giving it their all. I need you down here giving your all. You support this commander, you keep this fob alive, and you know, you do what you're supposed to do as a soldier. Right. We're going to win, gonna we'll win this. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And That's uh, right. Colonel, Colonel That's Baden right. walked, he rushed up to the flight line, walked up to the bird with me, and he was like, couple of small words with me he's like john you do your thing you know what you're doing and i called up to the op and talked to brian i said three to seven we're en route and so they didn't know what was going on with the helicopters or anything and that was all he got told and then i told him i said you know brian we're going to need the lz mark because the pilots are not familiar with the location and we're on our way with two mics out and then next thing you know we we start coming in i'm looking out of the side of the helicopter trying to see what the landing zone looks like there's still sporadic fire back and forth and the only location where we could get put down where brian had marked with a with a ir infrared strobe so pilots could see it actually put us closer to the taliban 
than to the OP because of the way the perimeter Him. was established. Mm-hmm. So we come out of the Blackhawk. Um, yeah, I was I was throwing bodies off. Just I, I did not want that that bird on the ground very long. We need to get off that bird and, and own that ground. We need to get yeah. on the ground, push out, let Taliban know, like, hey, you got more of us here now. You stirred up a hornet's nest. Yeah. And we pushed out. We established a perimeter. The second bird came in. That Those personnel landed, started picking up the supplies. Brian was at a break in the Constantino wire because it was, it was like a maze to get up into the observation post. So he was there to, to link up with everybody. Squad started that that second element landed, started picking up the supplies, started making their way up into the OP. I made sure I was the last guy coming off of the, the landing zone, scooping up everybody, getting them back inside. Hit Brian. It's like, Brian, I'm last man. Brian took everybody up into the OP. And Sergeant Sergeant Private Woods, he was down on a knee, and I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, Woods, I'm last man. Let's go. And I ran past him. And we're about 200 meters 150 meters out from the observation post. We get up into the observation post. They're sitting covering fire for us to run up inside. And I look at Brian Wood and I'm like, hey, three, we got everybody. You have all your guys. And I'm counting all the guys that came up with me. And he's counting his guys. And I'm like, hey, we're short one. And I start yelling at him, where the, where the fuck are your guys? How did you fucking lose somebody? All we did was go from the landing zone to here. And I'm like, man, maybe we got somebody hung up in the wire. Maybe he got shot. So we're, we're scanning the area, and there's private woods running towards the Taliban. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. 
That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I start yelling his name. We're all yelling, Woods, Woods, Woods. It's just sporadic fire. And he stops running. It was like a Forrest Gump movement. He's like, yes, Sergeant. He's like, where the fuck are you going? I'm looking for you. He said, I'm looking for you, Sergeant. He thought the Taliban got me. And I told, oh, you know, wow. I was like, I was like, hey, covering fires. I like, get the fuck in the OP. He turns and starts running. Taliban is shooting at him. He tripped and fell. Uh, thank goodness. I guess he fell. So he didn't get hit. Gets into the makes his way up into the OP. Yeah. And Brian was relieved. We got everybody accounted for. They're laying some ass whooping on the Taliban. And I grabbed our uh, private woods. And I was like, where? were you going? What the fuck were you thinking? He's like, Sergeant, I thought the Taliban captured you. And I was like, you were going to get me? That's what I thought. And he, he's a young guy. So he oh. may have in the fog of war, in the fog of war, he may have been confused. And I was like, you were going to get yeah. me. And I threw him down on a, on a pile of ammo cans and sat him down. I didn't want nothing to happen to him. He's a good kid. I was like, I can't believe this kid. And I was, I was like, you sit here and don't you move again. <laughs> Don't you move. And the, the Taliban broke contact. And then I gave all my guys a bunch of crap. Right. So everyone would make jokes that Woods yeah. was like, like a little slow. He was, you know, not as sharp. He wasn't the sharpest tool on the shelf. Right. But he had a heart of gold, that guy, that young guy, he had a heart of gold. And so guys kind of giving him crap, you know, Woods, you dumbass, where were you going? He's like, I thought they had Sergeant Melson. And I, you know, and I stopped giving everyone a hard time. I was like, you bunch of assholes. You were going to have Woods save me while the rest of you stayed up here safe in the OP. I'm like, you exactly. Bunch of, you bunch of assholes. Right? And we, and, but what are you was, doing? We made it through the night, right? So we could all laugh about it. Right? I was trying to make jest of the whole yes. incident. But uh, he'll always be special to me. Yeah. That's I, super I That's super. Uh, what a sweet moment in a shitty situation and yeah. what a badass move you did by getting those Blackhawks, texting them. You're like looking at Blue Falcon Tracker. You're like, hey, or uh, Blue Falcon Tracker. There needs to be one of those too. Yeah. Blue Tracker. <laughs> Just like, you know, we got a Blue Falcon coming near us. <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> I'm just taken back by you. Okay. I'm really just at a loss. I, I'm really intrigued by everything you just told me. And, and I'm pretty sure my listener has just also thought the same thing. Like, bro, do you have a book? <laughs> is there something that you put out there? You know, is there somebody out there that wants to make you into a movie? You know, that's listening to the show. <laughs> is there an advertiser out there that wants to hook you up with some type of, you know, glass company warehouse so you can start your business over again? You know, I mean, that's the vibe I want you to have. You've, you've done so much. And I know that you're still National Guard. You're still selfless service, whether it was law enforcement, military, you know, whatever it is, you just seem to want to help everybody out. And uh, I love the way that you remind me of my best friend, Keith, uh, with the way you talk and the same dialect from Boston and Massachusetts. And I think you're <laughs> fabulous. And there's something in the water back east, man. You guys are fighters. Okay. There's just something about it. You know, you probably have big hands. You probably have a really nice uh, heart and you're a fighter. And here you are, dude. I'm super proud to have had you on soft rep radio today. And, and your buddy, Brian, I don't think it's the same Brian from the OP. Is it from the outpost no. that we're talking about this Brian? No, th 
that Brian that talked to you, Brian he, the, served, yeah. he, he deployed me 18 to 19. Well, he, he was part of that oh, but, I see. Uh, medical issues. He didn't get to deploy with us. I see, but he is a part of that, and he's who recommended you get on the show. And, Brian, I'm just giving you a shout-out, bro, because thanks for listening to SoftRep and, you know, giving us a chance. And we really appreciate the listenership, dude, and the viewership. And, you know, having you on, John, has just been a, a great thrill and, and an exciting time. You know, we're, we're no longer strangers, okay? Yeah. And I do have stories I could tell you one day if we ever sit down and cheers a glass of water or your favorite beverage. But do you have any websites or anything that you want to throw out there that you want people to check out? Or do you have a book? Have you written a book? So, no, I, I've talked to several people about a book. I just haven't, like, made the leap. I don't know. Like, it'd be nice to, if it could inspire people to, like, you know, like, never quit. Don't ever give up, right? Correct. Uh, give yourself a fighting chance. Get in the ring with Mike Tyson because you never know. You might win, right? You might That's get, the you know, title of your book. Get in the ring yeah. with Mike Tyson because you never yeah. know. There's your book um, title. <laughs> but I have um, a, a, friend of, a high school friend of mine, Mark Renahan. He has a uh, a podcast that we do once a week where we talk to you know some other okay. veterans and other people that have had struggles to share how they got through it. They you know show their resiliency, and we co- the, the name of the podcast is Guts and Grit. And I met a, a wonderful young woman a few months ago. She was referred to me like Brian referred me to you. She was referred to me uh, by yes. a a soldier I had deployed with Dominic Mancuso and he put me in touch with Jessica Ainsworth and Jessica Ainsworth has a book that's releasing August 31st. It's each chapter is like voices from the battlefield of Afghanistan. The title of the book is called at what cost and it's the voices of Mm -hmm. soldiers. You know, what did the, what did war cost you from your experience and what you saw went through? And so that book comes out August 31st. And she asked me after interviewing me and she gave, she wrote a chapter. One chapter is on me. And so I contributed to that. And I also got to contribute by writing the foreword for her book as well. Oh, say the name of the book again. At what cost? It is available on Amazon right now. Yes, sir. At what cost? And it covers John's story, some of his story, and he writes the foreword. And uh, our listeners, you know, we're all about sharing it. So check out Guts and Grit, his podcast that he drops weekly. Make sure you like it and always reply to our podcast. Give us some feedback. His too. (laughs) We like to know. And then, boy, you know what? I'm sure there's other stories with nine deployments. And I will keep you on my Rolodex, if you will, of contacts. And we'd love to have you back on the show as like a reoccurring guest. I say it often to people who are very intriguing to me. So you have other stories. And if you feel like opening them up and saying, hey, Rad, do you have a moment for a show? We can throw you on at any time. So when you're comfortable talking about it, I'm totally open to talking about it. Oh, that's awesome, Rad. I appreciate the invite, brother. I really do. Thanks for having me on today. And I just want to thank you for being a part of Soft Rep Radio. And I also want to just mention out there, if you're an advertiser or you're somebody that's looking to sponsor my show at softrep.com, just reach out to us through softrep.com's contact us. And we'd love to talk with you and see if we can get you plugged into the show and go from there. So I really appreciate having John Mad Dog Melson on the show today. <laughs> if you're ever in Utah, John, come hit me up and we'll go snowboarding, okay? Awesome. <laughs> I'll take you out. We'll go snowboarding <laughs> anytime. Skiing, snowboarding. Yeah, dude. <laughs> okay, well, this will be everywhere that you can uh, enjoy it and enjoy it on softrep.com. And I'm going to say thanks again to John. And uh, this is Rad saying peace. Peace. 
You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.